You are now tuned in to the AddictedToSuccess.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next-level game-changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on AddictedToSuccess.com. So, ladies and gentlemen... Welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. I'm your host, Joel Brown. And today we have a very interesting guy by the name of Ty Lopez, who I like to call Lamborghini Ty. Ty. I'm just giving you nicknames now, man. You just have to take it. <laughs> Ty, I like books. I got more books here. You do. You I have did. a lot of books. And you've read, how many have you read, man? Like 5,000 or something like that? Probably something like that. I just, it's interesting. I just, so I have an eight-bedroom house, and almost every bedroom been been converted now to a library. So now I ran out of room in my garage here. You could see the car in the background, <laughs> and I just I just was counting. This is we got four, we got set eight books, seven bookshelves, so we can hold two thousand books here. And yeah. uh, I'm having to change my living room around. I just went to Barnes and Noble and bought. But you know, I tell people I was like, listen, there's two things you will never get poor doing in my experience. One is I've been, and these are. You can experiment for yourself. I always tell people, people want to argue or people want to blindly agree. You don't need to argue with me. You don't need to blindly agree. Just try an experiment. If I can set off and be a catalyst to a million experiments in the world, I'm, I'm good with that. And so the experiment, in my experience, in my experimentation, you'll never go broke, number one, giving money to charity. Yeah. I just keep upping the percentages. My CFO's like, oh, Ty, you know, that seems like it's going to be too much and i and and i like let's just keep going and every month you seem to make more money somehow i don't know if it's karma or just 7.3 billion people there's goodwill um but the second thing is you never go broke buying books knowledge education conferences seminars i've spent god knows how much money i have a friend who spent more than me he spent a million in a year i haven't done a million in a year but i probably now buy i probably spend 10 to 20,000 a month on just books. Now, part of that, I have one of the biggest book clubs in the world, but even if I, you won't go broke. You will not go broke. You'll go broke from lots of other stuff, but you'll go broke from RRD spending, I call it, restaurant depreciating. Yeah. So believe yeah. me, just try it, you know? Yeah, there's massive ROI in our personal development, that's for sure. Yeah. So, so you, um, you're chasing Oprah Winfrey, are you with the book club thing? Sounds like you're, um, you getting up there, dude. Yeah, she's way ahead. She can sell 60,000 books in an hour, <laughs> which I can't yet do. But I, I can sell out Amazon. I sold out Amazon. I made one book recommendation, I think, and Amazon Canada was sold out for a month. Wow. Yeah. So. <laughs> I love it, man. That's power. That's power. So for those that don't know who Ty Lopez is, just to give you a quick understanding, Ty is a uh, self-made multi-multi-millionaire, um, investor, entrepreneur, you're in the Menza Club, I think the the High IQ Club. Um, you live with the Amish for a few years. You've been mentored by uh, a lot of billionaires as well. So, yeah, man, you've had a very uh, colorful life. So, what would you say has been like throughout that? You know, the the transitions, the different contrasts. Like, what has been a standout moment for you? Like, what is something that you've really carried into how you operate today? Well. My, by the way, I don't know if you saw my TED talk just came out. 
my TEDx thing came out yesterday. Nice. So it's cool. Uh, I talk a lot about this stuff. If you want to check it out, not I'm probably not supposed to plug my own TEDx, TEDx thing, but Go we ahead. jumped to number. We got ten thousand views in the first uh, day, so we jumped to like number three hundred all time in one day. Wow. So it's pretty cool. And I what I talk about there, not to sound like bragging, I was just excited because it took me eight months to get my TEDx thing actually out because they wanted me to write a description and I was busy and I ended up taking five, six months to do it. So what I say there, you know, if you want takeaways in terms of sound bites, I, I tell people, be careful of too many sound bites. Just like Einstein said, the world, uh, you should make things simple, but not simpler than they should be. So I don't want to make it sound like there's, here's the three takeaways. I think, you know, I compiled all three or 400 principles that I learned since I was 16 years old, I compiled them to about 300 uh, principles that I used to train the CEOs of companies that work for me. Now I've broken that down, further condensed it down to 67. I can't get any smaller than 67, but some of the highlights in terms of what you have to take away, um, one is going back to the Oracle of Delphi. You're talking Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, their line of thinking and you must know yourself. And I've really been taking this experiment. That's a trite cliche that's talked about a lot, but I was just reading a textbook. I read a lot of textbooks. I can't find it right now, but uh, it's the one of the most cutting edge textbooks on site, uh, personal psychology, personal, uh, you could call it personal self-development, but it's, it's, I think the Harvard or Yale, one of their textbooks and people can be clustered. Without a doubt, there's clusters of human personalities. Now, some people use the Meyer Briggs. People used to use astrology. There, throughout the history, we've been trying to categorize, and even the most cutting-edge science has found there are certainly clusters. For example, there's flat. There's three main clusters of personality disorders, right? Mm. So you have uh, odd and eccentric is number one, and then that breaks down into schizophrenia and all these kinds of stuff. Then you have uh, you have people that are emotional, dramatic, and then you have last in the third cluster, you have people that are uh, anxious and fearful. So that's the negative type personality clusters. You have to know on the positive and the negative. You cannot proceed like Peter Drucker says uh, in managing oneself. You only proceed from strength. He says most people think they know what they're good at. Most people are wrong. Yeah. Most people, even more people think they know what they're weak at. Even then, more people are wrong than right. Yet you can only proceed from strength. So I tell people, look, if you don't, to know yourself is, in, in, so let's say we agree on that. You can only build on strength. Then number two, then the question is, well, oh, I already know myself. It's pretty easy. No, as Nietzsche, the philosopher said, he said the mind is like an inaccessible fortress. So you have to penetrate the fortress of your mind. It's not enough to just go, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to make money. Uh, I want to, you know, there's, I just got this Lamborghini. It's not enough. I remember when I was sleeping on a couch with $47 uh, in my bank account in a mobile home in North Carolina. Look, you know, I don't even, people think this Lamborghini is about materialism. I'm more materialistic about these books I look, <laughs> I like. 
and admire books more than Lamborghinis are RRD investment. It's rust, rot, and depreciate. But I keep that Lamborghini in my garage. It is my studio because it's a reminder. It's a reminder of the reward of number one, knowing yourself. So yeah. to penetrate the inaccessible fortress of our mind reaps big rewards, both in what I call the good life, health, wealth, love, and happiness. It's not enough to just have money. It's not enough to just be in good shape. It's not enough to just have love and friendship. It's not enough to just have internal happiness. You must mm -hmm. juggle four things at once. So that's number two. Number one is knowing yourself. Then number two, how do you translate that knowing yourself, what clusters of weaknesses you're in, what clusters of strengths you're in, how do you then take that and translate that into the good life? Well, that leads me to number three. And the reason I say that's number two might seem common sense that number two is the good life, but it's not that way. I'm here in Hollywood Hills, surrounded by celebrities, billionaires, uh, some of them are friends, business partners, allies, and billionaires don't always remember about the good life. Sometimes they sacrifice their social life. They sacrifice their health in the pursuit, as Seneca said, the philosopher. People run after things, and then he says the greatest tragedy is running after something your whole life and realizing it doesn't give you the reward you want. So you got to remember that it must be a balanced attack in life. And that's what makes life hard. And that's why it's so easy to fail in life because really accomplishing one of the pillars, getting a six pack, getting muscle. My dad, I, that's a picture I keep on the wall. I keep reminders in this studio. That's my dad was a pro body, but one of the first pro bodybuilders in the world. He's in better shape than me. I keep that as a reminder that my dad didn't have good genes. He was born, he he got scarlet fever when he was a baby. He's supposed to be dead at 12 years old. He was supposed to not, the doctors back then in the 40s said, don't do any heavy exertion, it'll kill your son. That's what they told my grandparents, his parents. And he went out and he stumbled on a book about bodybuilding and it changed his whole life. And he became, you know, Mr. Puerto Rico, Mr. New York, Mr. Junior USA, Mr. Canada, all these top bodybuilding and, and it's a reminder that no matter what people say uh when you know yourself and you go after the balanced good life that then the third thing you got to lead yourself with rewards so people try to rely on willpower if you're listening to this and you're relying on will, willpower there's a lot of good science out there that willpower is finite been many studies at schools like Stanford, Ivy League schools. There's a good book called The One Thing by Gary Keller talks about this. If you're going, yeah, I need to know myself and then I need to accomplish the four things, health, wealth, love, and happiness, and I'm going to get there by just waking up earlier by willing myself to do it. Uh, in some ways, that is approach willpower even though it's finite it's kind of like lifting weights you can get bigger by sign the problem is most people if you just start out using willpower you won't have the willpower to stick around to get the willpower it's a catch-22 <laughs> so what's better than that so that's number three there uh, well sorry number three then is what's better than willpower is leading with reward because reward is like the carrot that you put in front of yourself so Sometimes when I have materialistic things, even though I'm, I'm really not materialist, I happiest years of my life, I lived 10 years on a farm, two and a half years with the Amish, no electricity. Uh, 
I was just back at the Amish for Thanksgiving. It, I keep these, what I call selfish rewards, whether it's a Lamborghini or whatever, you know, a nice house in the Hollywood Hills, because it reminds me that that reward will suck me along like a vacuum cleaner, like osmosis, you know, the osmotic effect where yeah. it, yeah. it kind of pulls. So that's number three. If you lead yourself with rewards, so if you're trying to lose weight, put a picture in front of you of if you're a guy and you're single of a beautiful girl because women care about how you look, even though there's a lot of, you know, one of the 25 cognitive biases that cause us to make mistakes is pain avoiding delusion. So people who are, who are not exercising or eating right will delude themselves and go, Oh, nobody cares. You know, and there's marketing that'll tell you girls don't care because they want to sell you something. But the truth is humans judge uh, physical traits. Yeah. And so if you're trying to lose weight, don't be delusional, put a picture and lead yourself with the reward. Ah, this girl will be more attractive to me. And you got to have faith that the reward, um, you can't listen completely to the rest of the world because the world will tell you, for example, that it doesn't matter how you look, if you're a woman or you're a guy, that it does matter. That's BS. People don't read enough science. The science is in. I'm doing this conference in my house, uh, not in my house, but here in, the ho in Hollywood Hills, January 27th of this month. Uh, I'm doing this new conference series in person. I do a lot of stuff online just because a lot of people are in 40 different countries that listen to this stuff. So, But I'm starting to do an in-person conference series, and I'm bringing in Dr. David Buss. You're talking about the most esteemed uh, evolutionary psychologist, the guy whose textbooks are in Harvard and everywhere, and we're, we become pretty good friends. And it, if you try to tell him the notion that humans are not attracted by physical traits, he would laugh. And be like you've been sold, you've been sold something. Yeah. Another thing that we've been sold—it's pain avoiding delusion—is that money doesn't make you happy. Well, Nobel Prize winning research, Daniel Kahneman, Princeton, found money does increase happiness. At every dollar you make more, it does increase happiness. But the big bang for the buck is around seventy-five thousand, uh, depending on your country. So, what that means is getting at least to what I call financial independence. So we're at this number three, leading with reward. You got to go, yes, girls do care. Yes, guys do care. It does matter. Business deals. No one wants to do business with somebody who looks like they're near death. Presidents are, are win or lose somewhat judged on their physical appearance. That was one of the things that was against, you know, Ronald Reagan. Now he's able to rise above it. But you see physical matters. You see that money does matter. Uh, now. You also, people will go, well, I'm lonely. I don't need people. I can just meditate and go inward. Well, again, we know that this is incorrect. In fact, Daniel Kahneman, this Nobel Prize, we're, again, we're not talking about pseudoscience here. I'm talking about Nobel Prize winning guys. Now, they could be wrong, but if you want to bet on the most cutting-edge science, Nobel Prize winning stuff from Princeton is a good bet. And he says, on your quest for these other things, if you become more lonely, you ostracize friends, you lose contact, and all the marginal increase in happiness that came from money or other exterior, uh, external things will be offset. So that's why I said, you must lead yourself with reward and go, it is good to be more esteemed and be more liked by people. You don't wanna take it to such an extreme that you're completely driven by other people, but there's a good book by a Harvard guy named Matt Lieberman. It's called Social. The, the most of our brain 
our vocal cords. Much of what makes us human evolved, or this is what guys like Lieberman uh, theorize, evolved so that we can get along with people, we can understand where we are in the social strata. Charlie Munger, the self-made billionaire, says that the deserved and earned respect of your peers is one of the sweetest things on earth. So when you're trying to will yourself out of where you don't want to be, like when I was $47 in my bank account, no college degree, sleeping on a couch, my mom's uh, in a mobile home in Clayton, North Carolina. Uh, uh, no, I didn't have, I lost touch with most of my friends. I, was, I had no girlfriend at the time. I didn't have a car. And if you're in a place like that, some of you are, some of you may be worse off or some of you may be better off. To will yourself out won't be enough. To reward yourself out and then have faith in the reward by removing pain, avoiding delusion yeah. will draw, will help you draw out. Yeah, this is moving, it's moving closer to that pleasure, right, in your life. If you're not having exactly. enough pleasure, you're not gonna be happy. You're always gonna be living in pain. Yes. Yep. Well, that's why. So the thing. So continuing along, that's that's a good point. Is that we also there's a lot of delusion that says you shouldn't have selfish goals. And I got sucked into that a little bit at different times. And uh, so I realized, no, what you want to do is divide your life into two kinds of goals, two types of rewards. One is uh, selfish goals and one is unselfish. So I have selfish goals, Lamborghini, uh, jet, whatever. One of my, I'd say my biggest selfish goal is really to buy a basketball team one day. That's my dream, right? It's a <laughs> lot of money. Which money team, which team would you buy? Uh, I, you know, I'd buy any basketball team. I'd love, I was born <laughs> in Los Angeles. I thought to buy the Lakers. Ballmer bought the, bought the Clippers, but I have nowhere. He had $22 billion out of nowhere near that amount of money, but it's still okay to, draw your, and you need some selfish goals. And even mm -hmm. in medieval times, one of the great philosophers, a guy named Rabbi Hillel, I think in about the 1300s, he said, if I don't love me, who will? Mm -hmm. And then he said, but if I don't, uh, sorry. Yeah. If I, if I don't love me, who will, but if I only love me, what am I? So what he was saying is selfish goals. If I don't take care of myself, nobody's gonna do, you know, Joel, the only person who has 100% of your genes in, on this planet is you. Yes. So when people start looking to government or parents or best friends or spouses and go, why did they not act in my best interest? I'm like, physics, man, DNA, biology. Descartes, the great philosopher, said if, if you want to know what's true, at the end of the day for him, math was the only thing true. So the math is – you have 100% of your genes. I have 100% of mine. We must take care of ourselves. It's kind of like when you're in an airplane. They say, and it's always that counterintuitive advice. If the plane loses pressure, first put the air on your own face because you can't help your kids and yes. loved ones if you're dead. So, yes. but, and this is where people sometimes forget. I forget this sometimes. If you only love yourself, you, like I said with this brain that we have this social brain if you only love yourself and don't interact in your group your family your allies your friends your community your country your globe then you become really practically almost not human you've forgotten to live out the full human experience and you don't want to do that either so yeah. so that 
the way when you do these rewards, be sure to set up some selfish ones too. And people, uh, you know, people get guilted into those things, you know? Yeah, well, this goes on. So, um, this is this is uh, this relates to something that I heard the other day, where Tony Robbins was sharing the best advice that he had ever received, and yeah. he said that he received it from his mentor Jim Rohn, where Jim Rohn yeah. said that if you want to become wealthy, if you want to become truly successful, find a way to give as much value as humanly possible as you can, and it will come back. You know what I mean? So, like, if you if you're not working on yourself being someone of value how can you offer any sort of value to the rest of the world right you can't well so yeah that's a whole different train of thought uh which is also valid i think or seems to be valid i love i love jim Rohn, by the way i he's the he's the if uh, in self-help i think he's my favorite i love tony robbins i i'm not a hater you know i like all the guys out there uh tony robbins and tim ferris there's people that i think are more accurate than others but in terms of you know how can you not like people that are trying to help people and people think there's scams in this i'm sure there is i'm sure that tony robbins has 100 percent of his dna so i'm sure he cares about tony robbins more than he cares about me and i want him to as the old saying goes there's another saying let every man sweep his own front porch and the whole world will be clean so i want tony robbins taking care of himself uh I don't think people are scams in this and that and like everyone uh, does. Again, one of the things that I, the reason, you know, I've been a businessman, I still am an investor. And the reason I've not fully put myself out there uh, as some self-help guru, I don't really want to be known as that, is because what I'm talking about is a little different approach to things. So. I'm trying, and you see this, Tony Robbins does some of this, but I'm trying to take it to the even further of really, you know, my opinions are not that worthwhile for most people to listen to. So my my philosophy for my own life, and I would challenge people to try it in theirs, is forget about Tony Robbins or me, or not, not that I'm in the same breath as him, but whatever, Jim Rohn, use them for some source of inspiration, but you want to know how to build a business? Read $5 book by Sam Walton. He made $160 billion, $160,000 million. Go straight to the top. You want to learn about psychology? Don't read some pop psychologist stuff. Don't, you know, Oprah's great, but Dr. David Buss is better. So what I try to do is go out there, and, and this is like I talk about in this TED Talk thing, is the philosophy of we live in a world that is exceedingly complex and increasingly complex. So what we're left with is a conundrum. How do you deal with knowing so many things? Because even health, wealth, love, and happiness, which is just four things. I mean, it breaks down. Love breaks down into friends, family, romance. Wealth breaks down into, you know, I'm a certified financial planner uh, here in the U.S., which is, you know, a, a certification kind of in understanding finance and they break it into five areas. So even wealth is complicated because you have entrepreneurship, but then even in personal finance, you have investments, insurance, retirement, and t uh, taxes and estate planning. So how can we, you and I deal with this onslaught of knowledge that's demanded from us? And I think the answers are kind of what I was talking about in understanding, start with knowing yourself. 
not in a weird way, not in the delusional way that most people, we literally tell ourselves a story that's very rarely accurate. So forget that story. Take a lot of online tests. I know that sounds hokey, but Myers-Briggs, okay, it's somewhat experts don't love Myers-Briggs. There's a newer test that's more esteemed called Hexaco. Take your Hexaco test. I think the Myers-Briggs is very accurate. I don't know why, but Dr. David Buss, you know, he, I'll defer to him. He, he got his PhD in personality typing. It's called psychometrics. So do that. Take the Hexaco test. Take the strength finder test. There's all these things. Get insight. Then number two, like I said, really make sure that you're going after those big four simultaneously. You can't just say, I'm going to take a decade and just make money. You know, you hear people say, oh, I'm not going to, I'm going to just go in a room. Now that occasionally works and it can work if you're starting really young, like Bill Gates from age 20 to age 30, never took a day off. Uh, so he just focused on wealth and he was able to pull it all together and get married later. But man, Bill Gates started at 12. So if you're listening to this and started at 12, you've been blessed by the ability. If you listen to what I'm talking about and what these people greater than me are telling me, then focus now at 12 people. I get, I got an email from somebody said, you know, I get thousands of emails. It's, it's interesting. I wish I could answer them all. At first I was like, I'm going to answer all of them. And, uh, I've given <laughs> up luck. on West, unfortunately, uh, although it's getting, I'm, I'm getting help. I got, I got five or six assistants that help me answer. But this kid says, "Hey, Ty, you know, uh, how did he put it? Oh, he said I'm making about fifty thousand dollars a year, but I'm not, you know, I need more. It's not enough." And I was thinking, "Okay, fifty thousand, that's not a ton of money." But then he goes, I, "I'm 14, so that's how cool the world is now." And so. Uh, one of my, one of my uh, mentors, Alan Nation said, if you can get it right young, you're one of the lucky ones. And I mean, young Warren Buffett started at seven people write me and go, I'm 14. Should I be starting? I'm like, yes, yes. As Seneca says, the philosopher in our fears, we act as if our, as if we're mortal in our desires, we act immortal, which makes no sense. So people go, oh, I want to be rich. So I'm 14. I'm going to study stupid, weird stuff that's being taught in schools now at 14 that you'll never remember, by the way, because it doesn't lead with reward. Uh, and I'm like, no, no, no. Know yourself starting at 14. Psychometrics, that means your personality traits start coming out at birth. Okay, so you don't need, there's a lot of people, and this, of course, is pain avoiding delusion. Adults who have missed out on life. They become haters without realizing it and start telling people, oh, no, you got to go through a lot of hard stuff. No, you don't. That's them justifying their inefficient course uh, to getting what they want. Quickest way between two, line, to between two dots is a straight line. So the quicker, and we also know this, Warren Buffett talks about it. He says, I once heard him say, the only empirical research, the only highly causative, not just correlation, but causation, in his opinion, of who's going to be successful is the age at which you first started. Okay. So don't act immortal. Like you have 50 years to do everything because what if you get hit by a car in two years, right? You want to be on the path on day one. Now you don't rush too fast in the sense that you skip the natural seasons of success, winter, spring, summer, fall, winter is the time of planning. If you are young or old, I had a guy write me who's 71. He's in the, I do the, I have the 67 steps program. He's like, Ty, I'm 71. 
this is changing my life. That's it. I'm a lawyer. Like, <laughs> awesome. uh, but I tell him, well, you're the youngest right now you will ever be. Yeah. Stephen Hawking, great physicist, says at the beginning of his career, he thought at some point the universe would reverse. You know, it's been expanding, he says, and he thinks that eventually it will begin to contract. And he said, and he thought time would reverse, that Benjamin Button, the movie, would be true, that we'd be old and then we'd be young later. But he said, I was wrong. As far as I can tell, the arrows of time move forward. He said, there's three arrows. There's, psycho uh, there's uh, psychological time, there's cosmological time, and there's thermodynamic. And he said, all of them are moving forward. So that guy who's 71, I'm like, look, my friend, you are 71. The arrows are moving forward, which means mathematically, 71 is the youngest you will ever be in terms of being able to take control of your life. He can't change 61 and 51. He can change this. So, uh, but still do it in the same steps. Know yourself, understand the balance, and then thirdly, lead with reward. And then the fourth thing is we need what I call now different words for it. One of the words is mentor, uh, but I, mentors slash social learning okay social learning so what do i mean by that well once again going back to the newest the most cutting edge science i was reading a book called uh habit it's a fascinating book and it was talking about how companies like facebook create habits how we can create habits and the way he talks a lot about how we're wired to learn in social groups and this goes back to our the way our great 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 grandparents who we've adapt we've adopted or I'm sorry we've inherited their genes uh they learn in social groups they learn in learning a language is a social event most of your brain is firing uh the reason guys like Rainman so one of my business partners one of the top neurobiologists and he told me something interesting I was asking him about a guy like Rainman uh, in the movie with Dustin Hoffman or just people you meet yeah. that are so smart, but they're like really, they don't have no social skills, right? Almost like people, autistic. Yeah, or yeah. Whatever. And he said, well, Ty, this was his pet theory. He wasn't saying this has been completely proven, but this guy is a PhD from the most reputable neuro uh, program really in the world. He said, what I think is happening and what other neuro guys think happening is that they're diverting brain power to memory areas to math areas away from social he said to just know how close to stand to somebody you gotta you're hearing the whisper of ten thousand generations you're hearing the whisper of your ancestors the whispers of your culture in some cultures in china you you gotta know to burp at a meal in america that would be very <laughs> so we are processing social learning not only when we're born when we learn to speak and when we learn to have manners, psychologists call this the theory of the mind, when we realize we're not the center of the universe and we have to interact, but all of our brain power or much of it is being devoted to that. So if that is true, then he said, I don't think Rain Man's really that much smarter. He's just smarter, he's just diverted resources. So social learning and mentors, after you're leading with rewards and you've broken, you've got some selfish rewards and goals and some unselfish ones, you need both, then you begin to find people. And I call this the law of 33%. Uh, this is what my TED kind of thing is about, which is most of us are in a precarious situation. In fact, when I look back at my life, the best time in my life, the biggest growth spurts in this, not physical growth spurts, the biggest 
success growth spurts, mental growth spurts, where when I was spending 24 hours a day with people 20 to 30 years ahead of me, people say, Ty, how do you learn to read a book a day? Alan Nation, he was Joel Salatin. So Joel Salatin was my first mentor. Alan Nation was kind of not a mentor to Joel, but in a way, a mentor. And uh, I was talking to Alan. I'm like, why are you so interesting? Why do you know everything? And he said, oh, Ty, I'm just quote. I said, Ty, I don't know anything. I just go to where good people are, and I kind of recycle their ideas and mix them around. I said, well, where do you get all the ideas? He said, oh, I, I read it. It was a nine in the morning. I was talking to him on a farm in Virginia, and he said, I already read a book this morning. I always read a book before breakfast. I said, a whole book? He's like, yeah. Now, he had a blessed with a photographic memory, which I do not have. And uh, so he'd be like, yeah, Ty, go check out page 84, the third line. It'll blow your mind. I do not have that. People think I have a good memory. I'm like, no, not compared to that guy. Always compare yourself to people, the law of 33%, way more advanced. I I read pretty fast, but I still think he reads faster and retains more. So this, this I guy, always, this guy is like a, is he, he's a multimillionaire farmer or something like that? Is it? Is a, is a, uh, journal. He owns a, he's an entrepreneur. So he owns a magazine. He's one of the first guys, him and Joel Salatin to really all this paleo diet stuff, all, yeah. you know, bulletproof and all that. Well, Joel Salatin and Alan Nation were pioneering that stuff in the seventies. So Alan Nation, uh, bought a magazine. He does multiple things. Joel Salatin actually had runs a farm and best-selling author. They're both amazing authors and speakers and stuff. So, um, uh, so life, when you're relying on willpower, even if you have rewards pulling you, is not as good as life when you have in-person mentors. That's the law of 30. So you need to be spending 33% of your time, not with people below you. You can spend a third of your life with people below you. You can spend a third of your life with people on your level. Those are the people that will, that will be your allies and close friends. Yeah. See, your mentor shouldn't be your friends. It should be like a little bit like the military. In the military, the officers don't eat with the enlisted men, not because they're stuck up, but because you need – the brain needs to delineate between these are my comrades and these are my teachers. Yeah. So I never try to make my mentors my closest friends. I actually sometimes pull away from settings um, because it's kind of like a game that I play with my own mind. I was just reading this Mike Tyson book, the autobiography of Mike Tyson. He, you know, controversial guy. He says he's done a lot wrong. Seems like he's done a lot wrong, but he's done some things right. And I always, I'm not a hater. I try to look for the best. And uh, his life, you know, he was he, tremendous potential. But it wasn't until he met a, a mentor named Cos D'Amato when he's about 13 or 14 that had faith in him. After five minutes of Mike Tyson boxing. And a sparring in a ring, Cosdemato said, you are the heavyweight champion of the world. This is at 13 or 14. He had faith in him. And Cosdemato, I think, was at that time in his 60s or 70s. And uh, he pulled Mike Tyson up. And Mike Tyson said, my life fell apart. All the things that we know controversy about Mike Tyson happened when D'Amato died, uh, died of old age, basically. Wow. So mentors have just profound it, this is just social learning the value and this is we've gotten messed up because schools stick us basically with either people below our level yes if you're in seventh grade you're with all the kids below you or sometimes you're the lowest but usually there's kids in class not as advanced with you they're all with you then you have people on your level your peers but there's nobody there 30 years ahead of you 
there's teachers, but they're more like tutors. I'm talking a mentor, someone who did it. So when you're doing physical fitness, the gym teacher sometimes is in good shape, but they're not a pro athlete. And with modern technology, education, I predict will change. We will be able to put the best teachers. You'll be able to learn basketball from Michael Jordan. You'll be able to learn, you know, soccer from whatever. I don't follow soccer, but Rodaldinho or whatever. <laughs> or bringing back uh, some Maradona. Uh, I'm sure I offended somebody in the world. Would not be. <laughs> sure you did. The world. So good, man. You're, an, you're an NBA head, so. Uh, I know basketball. I know American sports. I know that makes me probably stupid in other people's minds. <laughs> So that that mentor thing, this is where the future of education and you got to be cutting edge. You got to be ahead of the curve. So who and and this is the simple audit you can do on yourself today. How many hours did you spend with somebody 20 years ahead of you? This is a traumatic thing to do the math. People go, well, two weeks ago, I did. I'm like, forget two weeks ago today. I always say I always ask people. People tell me their 10 year goals. I'm like, no man, you act in your desires as if you're immortal. Like Seneca said, why? You're not immortal. Tell me your 10 minute goals. Tell me your 10 hour, you can control the day. Good chance if you're alive today, you'll be alive for the rest of the day. Tomorrow gets trickier. If you look at the great mathematician Poincaré, the French mathematician who kind of, his his work was the foundation of chaos theory. The farther you get away from what you control, the more that butterfly effect, it, it spread so you can predict today so when people tell me all the time this girl was at my house and she's trying to become famous in hollywood and i have a steinway piano so she started playing saying amazing beautiful voice i mean i i i'm working on a talent come agency where we're managing talent here in hollywood i haven't launched it yet but i'm on the lookout for one flagship person i thought this was the girl and then I asked her this question that usually crushes my hopes and dreams to finding somebody I'd invest in. I said, how much did you do piano lessons today or voice lessons today? Now, it used to be 20 years ago, you can be like, well, I don't have the money for piano lessons. YouTube, wow. the best voice teachers. You can get a Yale college classes. My grandma went to Yale. It was the most hard, the hardest school in the world almost to get into in the, she came here in the 30s. So people, it's right to complain that education is expensive in the 30s, but people are still complaining education is too expensive. Then don't go to college and just buy the textbooks. That's what I do. Buy the, watch the classes online. And you know what's crazy? I go to UCLA and USC. They let me in for free. Yeah. I just write the professor. Hey, do you mind if I sit in on your class? Someone told me it's good. Professors are so mad scientists. They always write back and go, sure. And then I go in and try to introduce myself. They're just like in their head. So... <laughs> This girl had no excuse. Nineteen years old. Why? I was like, why? Here's oh. a question, though. Here's a question, though, man. So, what you're saying is like someone that would jump on YouTube, watch some videos, like they're kind of self-sufficient. They're self-driven. There's like a huge desire there to go to that next level. How do you how do you get yourself to that point? What do you think it really is, man? To like, I know I get up every single day. I I get pissed off when I have to go to bed to sleep because I want to keep working. When I wake up in the morning, I jump straight out of bed. I want to get into the day and start building my business. I don't really know what it is. People call it passion and whatever they call it. But I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Well, okay, that's great. That's what I call the tap dance factor. So Warren Buffett, you know, he's 84 and he goes, I'm 84 and I still tap dance to work. <laughs> and so 
I just tell myself and I tell other people, uh, one through 10, when you woke up this morning, in terms of your physical health, okay, what did you feel like? Okay. Did you feel like your 10 is perfect? One is, you know, horrible. What'd you feel like? Then you take your wealth. What did you feel like? What do you feel like? You look in your bank account, be objective, open up the bank account online, look at it. One to 10. Do you feel like you are where you should be? Obviously, you don't have to be a billionaire to feel a 10, but are you progressing? You don't have to have a perfect body to be a 10, but are you making, is it happening this, the quickest way between two points in the most straight line? When you look at your social life, friends, family, romance, one to 10. Yep. And I, tell, I challenge everybody, I do these live co uh, coaching calls for people in the 67 steps twice a month and I make them stop. I, I stop talking and I go, I'm not here to entertain you. That's one by bad thing, by the way, these podcasts and YouTube videos. People want to be entertained by insight. If I, you know, cause I, I read a lot so I can give people a lot of insight, yeah. but that just becomes a dopamine addiction. Yeah, you know, yeah, people yeah. just, you know, and I'm like, no. So if you're listening, don't be a dopamine self-help addict. Addicted to books.com. <laughs> what? Addicted to books.com. <laughs> yeah, but then you got to take the action, right? That's It's all good cognitively exactly. understanding, but you have to put it into, uh, into action. Exactly. So one through 10. What are you, what's your health, wealth, love, and happiness? Then average those four numbers together. And most people, okay, if they're honest with themselves, are going to be around a five. Maybe in this, your audience, it'll be a little higher. Now, people will BS and be like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a 10 in all areas. But if you're a 10 in all areas, you will wake up. And maybe you are, Joel. You know, you feel good about life. Um, yeah. But it's not until you hit about an eight, nine, or a 10 that you really pop out of bed. Joel Salatin pops out of bed more than almost any human I've ever met. Yeah. Uh, Warren Buffett certainly says he does. So yeah. you really constantly have to audit yourself and go, am I operating? And you don't always have to be a 10. As Freud, Sigmund Freud's talked about in Civilization is Discontent. Happiness is, is a contrast. So you can't always yeah. be happy. Uh, but you don't want to vacillate. You don't want to drop down to a two some days, then go back to a nine. You want to stay in that eight, nine, or ten. Maybe you could argue seven range. But that means if you're a ten in money, and I've got a business partner, one of the wealthiest guys in America, and certainly I think the wealthiest business partner I have, man, he is a ten in money, but I would not trade lives with him. <laughs> no way, no how. Because he, yeah. when it comes to social, he's not a he's he's done pretty well in health and wealth, but the other two pillars yeah. are down. So, yeah. uh, yeah. Does that answer kind of? It, it it does. But what what I was thinking as well when you're talking there was um just to kind of answer it on a deeper level. So for that for the girl, so for a girl that doesn't go and want to learn more, or even like maybe let's say. I don't know who the girl is, but let's say make an excuse and say, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't have money for a lesson when you could watch YouTube. Oh, do you right. feel, do you feel that that maybe that person or anyone that's like that, um, feels like they're probably already hit what they think is their potential. That's why they feel like they don't have any more kind of work to do, or they just give in. Like for me, I feel like I don't want to be a 10, man. I want to sit at eight and I'll, or like forever. If I have to sit at eight, because I know my work's not done. So is that a good well, mindset to, to be at? 
No, you should want to be at a 10 because the definition of 10 is not completion. Okay. There is no completion. There's okay. none. Uh, you, even when you become the wealth, if you became the wealthiest man in the world, you, someone will knock you off. There's still a challenge. Even if you get to the peak, I was watching Kobe Bryant and LeBron James, the basketball players, play yesterday. It's the So there's three things that Freud says cause us to have unhappiness. Okay, so you would say, let's, t- let's remove the word unhappiness. The three things that cause us to go from a 10 down to a 9, an 8, a 7, or a 6. Mm-hmm. He said the first one is the decay and dissolution of the body. So what I'm saying to you, Joel, is you can, if you can hit 10, stay there because the death and dissolution of your body, the decay and dissolution of your body is already happening. Yeah. From the day you bo- you're born, it's all a downhill slope. I don't mean that in a negative, depressing way. What I mean is you don't have to go, well, I'm going to get to the top of the heap and then be so self-satisfied that I'm going to stay there. That'll never happen because you already have entropy pulling those things down. Uh-huh. The second thing is, he says, uh, it is the forces of nature. So you could be have the greatest life and set yourself up as a 10 and go, oh, I don't want to be a 10 because nothing can knock me that back. Yeah, nature, disease, pestilence, earthquakes, tsunamis, whatever, droughts in Australia. <laughs> and the third thing, he says, other people, social. We have social issues. Other people will betray us. Other people will act in their best interests. Sometimes they're your own family, and sometimes they are friends and allies, business partners, spouses, even your own children and cousins and moms and dads. So the way is to try to always be at a 10 because the 10 in my definition here means you are efficiently moving towards your goal. That's what a 10 is. So for example, if you health-wise today, there's nothing else you could have really done more efficiently. Now, someone might say, well, Ty, then what you're saying is you should work out 12 hours a day. No, I'm not. That wouldn't be efficiently getting the good life because you can't just do health because then you have no time for wealth. You have no time for love. You have no time for personal happiness. Um, a little bit like I'm reading the textbook on economics by the Harvard professor Mankiw. Mankiw says economics is the story of opportunity cost. So my question to you, my, to myself is today, today's Saturday. On today, was there anything I could have done that would be more efficient? Now, eating one piece of candy today, let's say, is that inefficient or efficient? Well, if my mom used to say, Ty, it's not what you eat 90 uh, it's not what you eat 10% of the time that kills you. It's what you eat 90% of the time. So if I eat 90% good and I, we were walking out of a restaurant today at the Grove, I was with a friend and I grabbed a little piece of candy, but I've, but I've eaten lentils, grass fed egg, like everything perfect. So I, I consider the little candy laps actually efficient because it gives me my, uh, taste bugs and this latent kind of, uh, what's the word grandfathered clause of our bad taste buds that we have bad meaning unhealthy because we evolved from people who needed to be very attentive to the search for sugar uh fat and salt there's a good book on that called salt sugar fat by michael moss he won a pulitzer prize and uh so i need to let that impulse out that's why you see a lot of diets every once in a while they're like have a cheat day so i would say today's been a pretty efficient day 
it's been a 10 from health. Mm. Okay. Wealth. Now, Saturdays, I usually don't kind of work as hard. I usually work five or six days a week, but, and I, but I, I feel pretty good. So it's, you just go through that. You can be a 10. What will happen though, is that since you're balancing four things, if two are tens and one's a five and one's a seven, those two lower ones drag the whole thing down. So if you, it's very hard. If you are a guy who likes challenge and you're like, oh, I'm afraid of challenge, this challenge I'm giving you is going to kick your butt. Don't worry. And to balance these yeah. four, if you can achieve this, this is what Buddha and Aristotle, this is the real enlightenment. If you can pull this off, uh, you know, you don't you, really I'll, it, huh? I'll hand it to you. And also, avoid delusion because some of it is simple. One of the things I tell people is, good thing about money is it's mathematical so when someone says oh i feel good about my financial situation i'm like well show me the books you know mm. you can't. some people are delusional oh, everything's great show me the books <laughs> we know that you need a certain amount of money and resources even mother Teresa, who gave all her money to the poor even she set aside or time to raise I think 50 to 100 plus million dollars for her cause. You will need the yeah. fuel you. One of the greatest saleswomen of all uh, all time, man. Oh yeah. She convinced people to uh, to donate, man. That's that's how she did it. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. Like follow those people because they know what they're doing, right? At the end of the day. Right. Excellent. Nice man. Um what would you say has been the uh, most interesting biography that you've read? Huh. Well, if you're a young guy, I would read Total Recall, the autobiography of uh, Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger. If that doesn't float your boat because he's a little controversial, Kontiki is a great book about a Norwegian uh, guy who one of the most courageous people ever. Um, I like Jerry Weintraub's book, When I Stop Talking, You'll Know I'm Dead. So on my website, tylopez.com, I've got I think you should focus on 150 books. So I have my suggested 150. You can see the ones I put there. These are some of them. Uh, I like the story. I mean, I love autobiographies. So I think you should, people ask me, how do I speed read? And I say, well, more important than speed read, okay, is smart reading. So I recorded this little six video series on how to do it, but I'll, I'll give you kind of the, uh, I'll give you kind of the heads up. You want to divide up the types of books you read and the types and the times. So I like to, this is my personal one. You can experiment with this and I fluctuate a little bit, but in the morning when I first wake up, when I'm re when I'm eating breakfast, I like to read a classic book. Why? Um, because I feel like there's so much noise, so much static, so much consumer driven advertising. I was just reading this economics book, by the way. John Kenneth Galbraith, the very famous economist, he said, you know, all advertising basically brands manipulate people. So there's a certain, and, and there's another guy that argued against him. I don't, they're probably both somewhat right. And the way that I look at our lives when we're seeing about 2,000 consumer ads a day is that it's kind of like you need to take a shower when you wake up. So while I eat breakfast, I just pulled out a classic 
book, meaning a book that stood the test of time, more than 50 years old at a minimum. So this morning, what was I reading? Uh, I was reading Spinoza, you know, philosopher. Um, and I just focus on one little sentence from him. It kind of like is a bar of soap to clean out my mind. Doesn't have to take long, it can be five minutes. Then during the day, I like to read a how-to book, either on health, wealth, love, or happiness, something to enrich and build my skill set. In life, it's like a tool belt. Yes. When I have a hammer, every problem looks like a nail, but some problems are screws or need a wrench or you know need a uh, uh, um, crowbar or a shovel, whatever the problem is. So to build up many tools in my tool, tool belt, I read a how-to book, and I like to do that when I'm about to take a nap because then you naturally kind of fall asleep. So that's when I read that. But then at night, see, at night I don't like to read classics because they're too heavy. Uh, and you're trying to wind down. At night, I don't like to read how-to books because I'm taking notes, so I don't want to be in bed taking notes. So what I read is biographies because those are books you can read slower. You don't need to speed read them. In the morning, the classics, you don't really speed read. You just read a small amount. Yeah. Then the how-to books during the day, I can kind of speed read because most how-to books only have one or two good points. They just mm -hmm. they can't, The publisher can't sell the $30 book if it just had five pages in it. So they fill it up with stories. You know, there's great authors, Malcolm Gladwell, right? But his basic point of his book um, can be summed up in, you know, he puts a lot of stories, which are great. I'm not knocking that style of writing. For me though, since there's 130 million published books and there's an opportunity cost of spending one month on one how-to book and just hearing the same stories I like to look for disconfirming evidence. Just remember, when you read one book too long, uh, you're violating the the rule of looking for disconfirming evidence, which means the reason Charles Darwin is probably the most esteemed scientist of all time. If you ask the highest level scientists, uh, they pretty much agree his theories are the most esteemed, and it's because he was willing to always try to prove himself wrong. So I don't want to get too stuck on one book. People start reading, oh, this guy, oh, ah, this. I'm like, move on. There's a lot of smart people in the world. The world's too complicated, move on. So I want to keep myself moving. But I don't want to do that with, with at night with biographies because that's when, if you like fiction, get a good fiction book or get a good biography. And what biographies do, and fiction can do this too if you read the right type. I tried reading Stephen King at night, gave me weird dreams, so I never slept well. I wasn't really scared, it was bizarre. So that was an experiment, I threw it out, and now I read biographies and it gives you courage. So you read stories of people, whether it's war, or whether it's people who accomplish things in business, or people who accomplish them in charities, whatever it might be. So that that's the schedule. Um, so, and again, you still don't wanna get stuck on a book too long, just because, you want the amount, and there's actually good science. Dan, uh, uh, his name Dan Johnson, I think he wrote the book "What Where Good Ideas Came From." He's become one of my favorite new authors. He's yeah, I read great. that. I read that the other day, man. It's very interesting. And he talks about having ideas. Why Bill Gates goes on a a book vacation, lots of ideas bouncing. Then it takes you and makes you a creative person because you take all those ideas and you amalgamate and consolidate and summarize them into a new theory. This is, sometimes people go, well Ty, if I do this, I'll never come up with anything original. And I call BS on that. Yeah. That's Even Tesla, people, I've had people try to, I always tell them, prove your point. Show me somebody who came up with great 
uh, steps forward for their own lives and humanity by just sitting in a room and coming up with the ideas internally. We have, we have this myth that good answers come from within. The answers are not within. They are not within. And if even if they are within, they're almost unavailable and inextractable. They're like some gold mine that's 10,000 miles, you know, 10,000 meters below the earth. You can't get to them. So what's better is chip away. There is, now let me just, because this is a very controversial thing that I said, even though it's the most obvious. See, people believe groupthink. They also believe stuff they can't prove at all. I can prove my point. I can name to you the top 10,000 things that have moved humanity forward whether it's scientific theories, medical theories, biological theories, uh, the history of language, paper, writing, how we stand up, culture, navigation, travel, it all is what Sir Isaac Newton said. If I'm tall, it's because I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. The best you and I can ever aspire to is to be humble enough to go, every once in a while there's a Leonardo da Vinci and a Stephen Hawking. Every 500 years, and it's probably not me and Joel, it's probably not you either, and even Stephen Hawking. If you see that new movie that came out, yeah. read it. he yeah. builds on the theories of other people all the time. He makes uh -huh. wagers, $20 bet against a, a, another physicist. This thought that the answers are within is goes right along with convictions. As Nietzsche said, convictions are greater enemies of the truth than lies. And I would add to that people thinking they're coming up with their own unique ideas is also the root of much not only it's not evil it's the root of human misery because if we collectively learn if we don't value our own ideas too high or too low if we throw them into this jumble of ideas that we call knowledge and in the modern century then what we end up with is personal health personal wealth personal love, personal happiness. When I was six years old, I remember I, I opened a book in class and it said the world, people used to think the world's flat, then they realized it's round. You know what I didn't do? What kind of fool would I be if I got in the show? I said, Joel, I've got the greatest announcement at six years old. I read that the world was thought to be flat at one point. Now it's, now it's understood to be round, but I didn't want to believe it. So I wanted to come up with that idea from me. So I've spent the last you know, decades of my life traveling around, measuring on boats, making sure that we don't fall off the edge of the equator, <laughs> or the edge, uh, you know, the horizon. I've gone to space to look down to make sure I personally verify. And I would like to deliver to this talk today and these audience today. It is true. The world is round. There's no insight there. If there's only people looking at me and going, did that guy just waste his whole life, yeah. his whole life looking into things that he shouldn't be looking into? There are, leave it alone, go on and get to new things. But yet most, we spend our whole lives, man. Our whole lives is just proving stuff we could have known in one sentence. Yeah, I mean, the yeah. Trad, I, you know, one of the downsides, I'm going to warn you this. If you follow on this path with me, you will get angry. You will go, how come all parents, adults, teachers, people I entrusted my childhood with didn't have a clue? I, I, I launched this new TV show series called The Lamborghini Lessons. And the first real, the full, first full episode, I go, 
if I, the three things I wish people had told me when I was 18. One is that people don't really know anything, literally. Now I'm talking about all these great authors and all that, but there's 7.3 billion people. And at best now, there's maybe two or 3,000 books worth reading. Yeah. So that means statistically most people you meet are absolute, they're lost. I don't want to call them morons because humans are smarter, you know, than we think. We're dumb and smart at the same time. And But what we are is the blind leading the blind. I'm talking at the highest levels. I'm not talking about a conspiracy theory. I'm talking about for reasons of, as Munger talks about, the 25 cognitive biases that cause misjudgment. We don't under, uh, perverse incentives. The education system is perversely incentivized. The medical establishment, full of great people, it's perversely incentivized. If you incentivize doctors and companies to get paid when you cure illnesses, then they will not prevent illnesses. They will come up and spend billions of dollars researching how to stop diabetes once it starts. They will not spend trillions of dollars. It's not even billions. The medical establishment, you're talking to John. Why would they? They're looking out for their own DNA. You can't even blame people on Occupy Wall Street. I'm like, first of all, the stock market and these corporations are held by shareholders, which if you own a 401k, an IRA, or a mutual fund, you and I. So Occupy ourselves. You know, there is no Occupy Wall Street. There's Occupy Reality, which is that if you think that perversely incentivized education system, consumer markets, and uh, all these areas are going to look out for your best interest, then as I always say, if you're playing poker and after 30 minutes you don't know who the sucker is, you are the sucker. <laughs> you right. never so for me, it becomes a matter of going, man, as I read this stuff, I start just shaking my head. But don't let it drag you down and don't don't start getting a superiority complex. Uh, that's a danger. Don't get angry at them. Just realize mm. we've all we're all guilty of it. We've been guilty. Don't think of it so black and white. That's one of the problems in the world is that we've inherited a black and white understanding of everything. And and that's a psychological bias. It's called, there's several, uh, it, it's basically we want to resolve cognitive dissonance. So when we don't know something, we want to answer it. That's why people don't want to go to their grave going, I don't know what happens after death. They want to resolve it. Every tribe, every nation, we want to resolve it. And some of that, that, goal of resolving every unknown is okay it's what makes us human but some of it leads us astray you know one thing i was just re-listening to charlie munger's harvard's talk he said if you are young do not start attaching yourself too young to militant ideas and to extreme ideologies if you are you know i recorded a little talk when i was in london and i said one difference i've done some things wrong and, and some things right the most the, the things that I like the most, that I would repeat the most, is when I was, you know, 18, when I met somebody that said something that I didn't agree with, I would go, and I won't even use words, I'll just use a tone of voice. I'd be like, ah, like, tell me more. Like, ah. But 
where I've done the most harm to my own life is the times I was confronted by new ideas and I go, uh, my, like my gut feeling. It's because this is called the commitment consistency bias. Cialdini talks about this that in his famous book, Influence. We want to resolve cognitive dissonance. And especially if we have a hard fought uh, for conviction, like we told people for 20 years, I'm a conservative in politics. Yeah. We don't want to go, uh, because that, and it goes all the way back to evolutionary psychology, um, for us to, we perceive us admitting we're incorrect as hurting our social standing. And mm. in the medieval, medieval times, or even further back in the Savannah times, you know, 50, 75,000 years ago, when we were living in little villages, to be an idiot and to cause harm and say, oh, I was completely wrong. We should have been foraging for berries that way when it's over that way could possibly mean ostracism from the crowd, from the group, which would be near death or near certain death. But we've inherited that fear, but it's not that way anymore. You now can be like, ah, oh, I was completely wrong for the last 20 years. And you will not be, even if you're ostracized by a few friends, there's 7.3 billion people. There's technology. There's food in grocery stores. You're not going to have to go hunt for your berries. So we have innate flaws in our thinking. And the reason when I hear people criticize self-help, I'm like, you know nothing. That's what I want to say. You are a fool because what you're saying is that the human, uh, the human being is well equipped to live in the world that we live in today. BS. It's not. We inherited the whisper of 10,000 generations. The one of the best quotes is uh, that I kind of came up with it based on Steven Pinker, the famous Harvard uh, researcher. He says, and if I summarize what he said, you and I, Joel, we have the perfect brain. We don't need self-help. We have the perfect brain. We have the perfect taste buds. We have the perfect uh, sense of smell, eyesight. Everything's perfect for most humans when they're born, assuming not born with health problems for a world that hasn't existed in 75,000 years. <laughs> if we live BC, you know, 70,000, you're right. No self-help books needed. Nothing. You don't need Tony Robbins. You could delete this podcast. But guess what? The rate of evolution of our DNA versus the rate of evolution of our culture, DNA lags behind almost not infinitely, but of such a magnitude, slower pace yeah. to make yeah. inconsequential. You and I are well equipped for a world that hasn't existed for 75,000 years. So my answer is you better get with it now, or I can guarantee you this. Your only hope, my only hope, if I ignore the principles of these great thinkers is for me to live in delusion. For me to not accomplish health you see this with smokers right they're smoking you just see them they're just you see them physically deteriorating okay but they say oh no no but no but you gotta die of something yeah but you don't want to <laughs> die of that <laughs> and it's look yeah, it the world's full of grouping yeah we're all gonna die but okay let me blow your brains out right now if you don't care when you're gonna die if you're happy with dying early prematurely then just want you shoot yourself. No, nobody wants to shoot themselves because we all want to live. Mm -hmm. So if you avoid what the great thinkers when it comes to modern nutrition and exercise and how to be healthy physically, mind, 
health, physical. If you ignore that, great. You're just going to have to make up for it by being delusional. And that's what people do. Yeah, and that's yeah. why you, even though I like to listen to people 20 years ahead of me, I only like to listen to people 20 years ahead of me who did it because people 20 years ahead of you who have not accomplished what they wanted, their delusion level will be so high that they will justify everything they do in, in the bad advice they give you. That's one of the big problems in the world. We're being educated by people who are quote unquote haters who people go, Oh, well, you know, I had a guy when I put this Ted talk out or they put it out yesterday, a couple days ago, now two days ago. And, you know, I like, I try not to read the comments too much because YouTube comments are, they're actually hilarious. <laughs> this one luckily has been overwhelmingly positive, except one guy wrote, well, Ty lives in Hollywood and, blah, blah, and I'm in Europe and, you know, try to tell this to people standing in the bread lines. And I was like, first of all, I was just in Europe. What bread lines? My grandma was born in 1918. She's still alive in Nazi uh, in Nazi Germany, well, it wasn't Nazi at that time. In, at the end of World War One, she's born in February in 1918. Uh, World War One ended in uh, September, 11, November 11th, 1918, at 11 a.m. It's 11, 11, 11. And so my grandma, she said, "Ty, we were so poor after that that we ate carrots." for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, carrot soup. She said our skin turned red. So I don't know what this guy commenting um, on his lamenting the life that he lives. Anybody lamenting living in the modern century, I'm like, you have no perspective. Unless you live maybe in Bangladesh and some places in Africa, some there is still poverty, even in the United States, even a big set, but of nowhere, the magnitude that it once was. I just read, I was reading uh, the Decameron, which is the famous piece of literature. And uh, in uh, the 1300s, when the bubonic plague, the black plague came, three out of five people died in whole countries. Mm. People would bury, there was, there was a story of a man who buried all six of his kids. I'm not saying, and I don't mean to diminish the fact that there is extreme poverty, there is discrimination and sexism and you know sexual discrimination, all kinds of bad things going. But keep it in perspective because what people don't realize is there is no utopia because yeah. of DNA. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the person who's lamenting, my answer to them, the people who lament capitalism, who uh, lament the decadence in the world, I say, well, good. You don't like capitalism? I got the best solution for you. And some people have done this. Buddha did it. Gandhi did it. Mother Teresa did it. Jesus Christ did it. Give away all your possessions. Go become an example. Go for it. You lead with your example. To all of those listening that are not going to take that extreme, then shut your mouth is what I want to say to that. Not everybody listening to that guy comment. You're sitting here using technology, lamenting the forces that created the technology so you can leave a comment from Germany. What you He's a hater. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting. He was an older guy. So if you're older listening to this, Check yourself. Check the delusion in your brain. It will ruin you. And not only will you poison your own life, but you will poison uh, the, all those people younger than you that you touch. So clear it out. Root it out. Like I said, those three clusters, a lot of people come from being too odd and eccentric. A lot of people come from being too dramatic. Right. And the third cluster, a lot of people come from having too much fear and anxiety as 
you know, my favorite saying almost is Alexander the Great. He says, uh, and every time I'm going to slaughter this quote, unfortunately, I don't have Alan Nation's photographic memory, but I can remember the gist. He says, you know, at every time in history, there's been a war, a war with fear. People who conquer the fear and people who don't conquer the fear and suffer and die. So the way to overcome delusion and delusion, as I've talked about, comes from thinking your life's great or from thinking your life's way worse than it is. Delusion comes from thinking that the answers are all within. Delusion comes from thinking that self-help makes no sense. Delusion comes from thinking that you can blame other people who don't have your DNA. That's another form of delusion. No, they're supposed to act in their self-interest. I don't get mad at the medical industry. Uh, I mean, they do, obviously, I'm not anti-medicine, let me say. I, you know, I break my arm. I got my arm cut the other day, and I'd go to the emergency room. I'm glad for modern medicine. But I also, I look at it realistically. They're also perversely incentivized. And when I'm perversely incentivized or the most beautiful ethical person in the world is uh, incentivizing correctly, we take action that generally is not in our best interest or that of society. So I don't look at it with anger. What I do is what Stephen Covey says and kind of maybe the takeaway if, if I, was, I can go forever, but as we wrap up, I know we don't want to go for too many hours. Uh, <laughs> the takeaway is Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Before people, I allow them, you know, I, I have a different programs now, these 67 steps, and I got a business uh, mentorship, and then I have people who work for me. I buy companies, sell, invest, and put people to run them. I tell them, you are allowed to complain about forces outside of your control. Once you fulfill one requirement, everything within your within your control, you're doing well. So before you tell me about how evil Warren Buffett and Bill Gates are as they've accumulated capital and have not helped society, as long as today you had gone down to an old folks home and cheered somebody up, as long as today you had gone into your bank account and pulled out a big chunk of it, 20% of it, and handed it to somebody, some single mother in need. Yeah. Or as I'm, I'm not very religious, but the, the, the Bible has a great quote. The book of James says, uh, what is pure religion? To take care of orphans and widows in their distress. The helpless. As long as today you're, you can tell me your story of helping the helpless, then you're allowed to talk about that. You know, there's a cool story, funny story I heard. Actually, when I was doing my TED Talk, another speaker gave this story. Forget his name, but I'll try to give him credit. Um, a mother in the, you know, Gandhi was born, I think, in the early 1900s, but so whatever, in the 40s or 30s. Gandhi was approached by a mother who had walked three days with her son, little young son, and she big crowd around Gandhi and she got through the crowd and said, I, I need your help. And he said, what well, happened? She said, will you tell my son to stop eating so much sugar and candy? It's hurting his teeth and making him unhealthy. And Gandhi said, come back to me in three days and I'll talk to the boy. And she said, but Gandhi, I, I, I live in a village far away. I walk days to get here. I don't have anywhere to stay. I'm poor. He said, no, come back in three days. I can't help you if you won't. So she left. 
She comes back three days later, kind of frantic, hasn't lived, hasn't been sleeping or whatever. She goes to Gandhi and she asks, and he looks at the boy and he says, don't eat sugar. And the boy said, uh, okay, and listened or whatever. And the mom then turned to Gandhi and said, well, why didn't you say that before? Why did you make me do that? You playing games with me? And he said, no, three days ago, I was eating a lot of candy. Uh, so I had to <laughs> myself before I could give that advice. He didn't want to be a hypocrite. So we, we it, it, Adam Carolla calls it moral satiation. People want to talk about all the bad in the world, and by talking, they they fill up the quota of them thinking they did a good deed. Uh-huh. You know, people sometimes listen to them. I got a YouTube channel, pretty popular podcast. People don't agree with what I said. I'm like, great. Then if you think that I'm not giving the fully accurate idea, here's what I want you to do. You read the books that I read. You spend two or three hours a day consolidating, summarizing, recording them for the good of humanity. And then you do better ones, and I'll stop making mine. Trust me. <laughs> I, I make more money. I, this is not my full-time business. So all I'm trying to do, I'm not perfect. I, I, I don't hold myself out as a guru, even a mentor. I don't even know that I want to be known as that. I'd like to be remembered as somebody who spread out good ideas, who someone was a catalyst to look to people much smarter than me and and somebody who wasn't a hater, who wasn't, uh, you know, Richard Dawkins in The Selfish Gene talks about in biology, there's always three types of people. There's cheaters, suckers, and grudgers. So there's, in birds you see this, there's the cheater birds. So it's a female bird that lives in the nest of one male or vice versa, and then when the other, when the other their spouse isn't looking or their mate isn't looking, they go off and, you know, mate with another bird and then they come in. That's the cheater. And then of course the one being cheated is the sucker. But there's this third class of people called the grudger. And the grudger exists as kind of the tattletale, the bird that goes so that the other bird knows it's being cheated on. So you need some grudgers in a system. And these are the people that are journalists and watchdogs and activists. But what happens is the world's not as simple as it is for the bird, okay? The bird's operating in a prehistoric biological ecosystem. We live in a very complex one. And so we still, again, have this perfect brain, and a lot of people are like, I'm a grudger. So what they start doing is start going, no, that's not true. Not everybody can be wealthy. Not every, Ty, you have a Lamborghini, but not everybody can. I know not everybody can have a Lamborghini. I know not everybody can be a billionaire. I know the understanding basics of economics that scarce resources are what money represents and the definition of scarce means not everybody can have. But that does not make the point that I'm making now null and void. The point that I'm making now is that the great story, the optimistic story, what should make you excited and tap dance out of bed today and tomorrow is that humans are survivors and we move forward and you can move forward you can rise from the ashes and there's never been a better time oprah winfrey she's a woman women have been discriminated for millennia and still are discriminated against that black women again black people have been discriminated against and still are but she abused so she, the trust of her family what she was betrayed and out of that, she rises from the ashes. Interesting enough, she says she had two mentors without whom she would not have achieved what she achieved. Now she's $2.2 billion network. She has wealth, health. I don't know. She always losing her weight up and down, but she sees 
she's got love. She's got she's one of the most esteemed and loved people by presidents and prime ministers and and everyday ordinary people too. Yeah. And so and she's achieved it seems a measure of happiness. I you never know, but I would guess she's happier than uh, she could have been had she just followed. Well, I've been abused. No, she's risen above. And you know what she's done, which is I call level three business. And I know you have a lot of entrepreneurs and I've done all kinds of businesses. Some that I like more than others. Some I'm more proud of than others. Some I wouldn't do again. Uh, And the level three ones are the best. Level one business is where you make money, but you harm the customer. So I would put the fast food industry in this. They're Mm -hmm. creating they're creating products that are leading to 60% obesity in a population. There's now more overweight people than there are malnourished people in the world. I read that in the U S by they're predicting by 2030 or something that up to 50% of kids will be diabetic or pre-diabetic. We are literally poisoning our own children. That is something rarely done, but it's the forces of this reward bias out of whack. So, the good news, though, is you don't have to have a level one business. You don't have to be a fast food place to make money because they make money. Then you have level two businesses. I, I've had those. Level two is kind of neutral. You're not really. It's like a hotel business. You're not really. I mean, I guess you could argue a hotel makes hospitality better around the world, but it's not really. The world's not better off because we have more hotels. It's neutral, and they make a lot of money. But there's something now that is available to people listening to this. No matter what you've been in, try to get a level three business. That's where you make selfish goals, money like Oprah, by giving such value to people that they love you. And it's it's what's called – a lot of people know the Pareto principle, 80-20. There's a principle I like more by the same economist called Pareto efficiency. A Pareto inefficiency is either a lose-lose or a win-lose. You win, they lose. They lose, you win, vice versa, or you both lose. But oh, Pareto efficiency is a win-win. And you can pull off a win-win. And when you pull off a win-win, you can become Oprah Winfrey. $2.2 billion. And the, you know, I saw her driving down the street the other day and it stretched a uh, Rolls Royce. I guarantee you it was a million-dollar Rolls Royce. It was the nicest Rolls Royce I've ever seen. And I've seen some nice ones. I'm like, wow. But no one calls her a capitalistic pig. Why? Because she's giving. And so I think going back to your initial advice of, you know, Jim Rohn saying give value, that's not always, I would agree and disagree. If your goal is pure money, there's many people who have not given value who have made money. So I think you should, you know, far be it for me to correct Tony Robbins or Jim Rohn. The better way would, or more accurate, I believe, would be to say, if you want a level three business, okay, so you want money, well, then you have at that level three where your humanity, your family, your community, everything getting better uh, moving forward, then then you have to give a lot of value. You can have a level one business without that much value because one thing I say, they, if you get a chance, watch some of the Lamborghini talks on my YouTube channel. There was one that I did uh, where I say, if you're an entrepreneur, just realize you can create value and you and I have to talk about this, Joel. It's one thing to create value. I know people creating tremendous value, but you can't always, people don't always know how to capture it. One of the things I talk about in this business mentorship program I have is just think of it this way like singers, 
there's amazing singers out there who have been born and died. It's like when you watch American Idol or X Factor. Before those shows, you see all the talent that was there, value there, built value, amazing voices, but it was never captured into the ability to spread that voice in, in, in the form of a record or CD or you know download. So net, the, the challenge becomes if you're an entrepreneur, some entrepreneurs are masters of capturing value, fast food places. They know how to capture our perceived taste buds value of salt, sugar, fat. They make it the most efficient businesses in the world. Ray A. Kroc is a great businessman. I mean, you go in that store, you're in and out, low cost food. My friend, his dad owns, him and his dad own most of the Taco Bells in all of California. They make so much money. So they're masters at capturing uh, value, but they don't create value, right? Taco Bell certainly, even though an economist would argue with me, I would argue right back because I'm calling it social value in addition to economic unit value. So to me, and, and, and economists talk about this, you know, the indirect costs of things, um, and certainly a society that's going to end up, everybody's going to end up dialysis is gonna, that's not literally, but that's a cost that must be imputed to the fast food industry. So, but then on the flip side, there's a lot of amazing entrepreneurs out there that have great ideas, that have great things, but they don't have the business skill of a McDonald's, of a, I don't, I don't mean to pick on McDonald's, of these fast food countries, that companies that know how to market and know how to brand. So the challenge for entrepreneurs uh, is you must understand those. And what I teach in the business mentorship, obviously that's a, that's a long 18 month program that I teach, but I'll give you some, I'm giving you kind of highlights because we're not going to do this call for 18 months. It's about 600 hours worth of stuff. So, uh, what I tell people is this balance is very tricky for an entrepreneur. And there's times when I have been very heavy on capturing value, been very good at marketing. You know, I built companies with millions of customers. Um, but then I look at the value I was giving and, you know, I've never been in a business like fast food or, you know, where I feel that, but I've been in stuff where I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm way better at capturing the value than I'm at creating. I've done other businesses where you have the greatest ideas, um, you know, when I got into, I worked for GE Capital, and then I left GE Capital and went in and started a company with a business partner. That company we had, I mean, we were doing, the Tony Robbins put out that new book on finance. I've been teaching that stuff since 2001, okay? Mm -hmm. You know, low cost investing, efficiencies, watching out for all this stuff. That's not new, okay? But we, Tony Robbins has been good now 14 years later at actually talking about it and spreading it. So when I, if I was advising myself back in 2001, I'd be like, Ty, you've created a very valuable concept product here, but your business skills aren't as good. And then, you know, along the timeline, I got better at creating the marketing, but the product failed. So you must, just like I was saying in, in life, you got to balance health, wealth, love, and happiness. In business, it is not enough to just know how to have a good idea. It is not enough to have a very powerful business. You must be able to capture it into units, freedom units, financial units, money, we call it. And people say, well, I don't, I feel weird charging. No, 
as long Joel South used to tell me, Ty, as long as you charge a tenth of what the value is, people will pay. And I do that every program that we have. You know, yeah. if I price something at 67 bucks a month, I make sure it's giving them $670. And it's yeah. interesting, yeah. I've been testing. We have the drop off rate, you know, as you have, if you have anything that's a monthly billing thing, people usually drop off. Mm. Oh, but this program, we have one of the lowest drop off rates because people are like, this is the best use of my money ever. Yeah. yeah. And that's when you know, I haven't always been able to do that. I built up a few skills over, you know, a couple decades. I started in business when I was 16. So I've been at this game. I'm in my 30s now. And so when you pull off the holy grail, you get a lot of money. My one, my best friends makes a million dollars a day, million bucks, yeah. a day. and uh, he's got he's gonna IPO, looks like a billion dollar sale, uh, and he's been very good, better than me. Obviously, I don't make a million dollars a day. That's a lot of money, mm -hmm. two, three million bucks a year, plus, and he's very good at both of those things. Very skilled entrepreneur. And so everything you must do as an entrepreneur is building this tool belt of capturing value. Okay, that's, you know, in a bit, I just spoke at London Business School, which I didn't realize, but now I know is the number two business school in the world. That goes Harvard and London Business School. I did the keynote speech there on entrepreneurialism and I realized, man, they've got so much right in these MBA programs, but so much being left out. One of the things that they have right is understanding what what I call the the or what they call the four P's. So you have to be able to create a product, and you got to do it around your strengths. I call it your Orlarian business destiny. You got to build around that, then select the industry, then create a diverse uh, set of products. Then the second is pricing. That's the financial side of things, the split testing, experimentation modality, the lean startup. So that's kind of like a, uh, that is kind of like creating value those two P's. Then the second two P's are capturing the value, which comes, you got to know how to promote. That's what the third P, promotions. And I, I've created a formula for businesses called the PVP formula. So if you follow, that's how I built, you know, I build more than one company with more than a million customers. And uh, it's not as hard as people think it. You follow the PVP. So PV is, P, the first P is understanding it's sophisticated, it's product but a sophisticated product, a differentiated product. Peter Thiel talks about in his new book, Zero to One, uh, you know, monopolistic. Um, you can call it mini celebrity, different ways of saying the same thing. It must be differentiated because only in differentiation do you get pricing power. And only with pricing power do you have lasting profits. As an economist will tell you, in the long run, in a truly efficient marketplace, there's no excess profits. So you need to have excess profits to thrive. Google, for example. So you must have a sophisticated product. They didn't just have a website. They have a sophisticated website. And that's what makes Google or Facebook or Amazon the company that, you know, companies of the decade, century. The second V is virality. You got to then build something and understand. There's a good book that just came out by these two Harvard guys. It's a great book called Compelling People. And of course, this is for people, but you can apply it to products. And this book, Hooked, is similar. How do you create things that go viral in and of themselves? Seth Godin talks about in The Purple Cow that of uh, the top 100 brands, only two of them have used paid advertising to get themselves there. 
So if P is product, which is the sophisticated, I'm sorry, plan, which is the sophisticated plan. And the sophisticated plan is knowing yourself, your strengths, industry selection, product differentiation. Then the second thing is this virality component. And virality is much harder than people think it is. Not just posting on your Facebook wall. Facebook, that, that day has come and gone. I had a friend use the Facebook wall to get 100 million customers. 100 million. He's, he used Facebook, but it's dead. It's been dead for years. So that virality is not there. YouTube, all of these are getting snatched up very quickly. But there's a way. But but there's a way to rise above that saturation. Mm -hmm. So that's the second part. Then the last part of the PVP formula is then you use paid advertising. So paid advertising becomes like the rocket booster that pushes those. So I've just launched, you know, some different businesses I've had. I follow that formula. If you can get that down, it's not something I can teach, obviously, in, you know, an hour or two. But maybe we'll put a link for some of the stuff if people want to get more uh, advice later. But yeah, 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 yeah. We'll share some Stand links, up. man. We'll share some links. You've got the sixty-seven steps. You got your event in LA. I mean, you got a lot of things going on right now. So yeah, yeah we'll we'll put the links up, man. Yeah, the, we're doing these mentor conferences. I tell people, everybody, start with the sixty-seven steps the most powerful thing we're on track to have about a million positive comments on it. it's crazy we, it's like the inundation in, in this thing people getting value I've never in my all my career even in any business I'm an advisor and partner or investor in some of the biggest businesses in the uh, you know some of not Exxon level trillion dollar companies but some huge businesses very uh, powerful business people and I've never put together or been a part of something with more positive uh, results than the 67 steps. So tell people, start with 67 steps. If you're an entrepreneur though, the business mentorship, it is, it, I just did this talk in London. It was cool talking about marketing. So I do this, I, I just decided for New Year's, I'm gonna go to Paris with the girl I'm dating, Kenna. So last minute, December 29th, we buy a ticket, we go to Paris. So I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go to London. It's right across the channel. So I said, let's email. I've got a pretty, I reach about a million and a half people right now when I, with my stuff. So I said, let's put it out a couple days ahead of time and say, I'm going to be in London, give a talk. So I go and man, we should have got a bigger hotel because the thing was crazy that they got all mad at the hotel because we broke the fire code. We had to turn all these people away. But <laughs> so I'm up there talking. And then at the end, I was like, who wants to, because the business mentorship is more of an invitation. Only got to fill out an application and stuff. I don't do this for the money. Uh, I don't do this for free, but I, I want to take people that we can help. So I'm doing the talk there. I try not to be too salesy, but I never apologize for selling. Grudgers always are like, well, why are you selling? I'm like, because well, do, I'm like, I want to tell them, do you volunteer to work? No, I hate people like that or I hate that. <laughs> so, but anyway, so I do this little talk. I, I talked for nine and a half hours and I did this little sales spiel for 30 minutes. So, I was saying, you know, go in the program. It's guaranteed this business mentorship, and I guarantee you make your money back. So this kid raises his hand out of blue. I thought I didn't know he was in the program because he was sitting in the sales part of the, the talk, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm in it. I made an extra thirty grand in the first week in it. I recommend you do it." Then all these hands started oh popping God. up. It looked like I set people up as fake testimonial. <laughs> I was almost like, "Oh man, this is too much going," but. It's crazy. It's not because I'm smart. It's not because 
the only reason I put together this, I started putting this together back in 2004 for selfish reasons, to train the guys who run the companies that I buy or I start or I invest in. And uh, it's all compiled, the greatest thinkers in business. I don't know why a university doesn't do this. It's a tragedy. They kind of do it, but not in the same way. And uh, so just, I tell people, snap your fingers. What if right now the business wisdom of Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Ray Kroc, Sam Walton, you know, Branson was all downloaded like a little chip into your brain. What do you think would happen to your bank account? There's nowhere but up, I'm telling you. And one day we're probably going to have a chip that you could just download the intuition, download the hard skills. But until that day, I tell people, and I'll leave, I'll end with this. This is a controversial thing I'm going to tell you. People say, oh, this is self, you know, this is kind of self-dealing or whatever. It's not. I can prove it to you. All wealth is created by spending. Let me repeat that. All wealth is created by spending. Let's say you say, no, no, Ty, uh, wealth is created by savings. Well, let's define savings. You put the money that you make, let's say you put it under your mattress. Well, guess who spends your money for you? The economy in the form of inflation. Inflation, depending on where you live, is between even in low inflationary countries, two to four percent. So that means if you use the rule 72, every 15, 20 years, that money under the mattress has been, half of it's been spent for you, literally. My my grandpa's 97, one of them. He still thinks a nickel will buy you a loaf of bread. I'm like, that's the <laughs> man this is born in 1916 so you can you can now you can put it in a bank that's what a lot of people do okay so let's say you put money in the bank great what are banks paying right now on on deposits one two percent that doesn't even keep up with inflation it just lowers the bleeding so you're still having your money and then the bank of course creates wealth by taking your money loaning it out at 15 percent or seven percent so they spend the money your money is spent at the bank but not to make you rich it makes the bank rich so then that leaves you with the other way people spend money which is buying things restaurant and appreciate this lamborghini you buy something like this spend quarter million dollars the next day when you drive that thing off it's not worth a quarter million now i'm not saying you shouldn't have any rrd spending when you pay rent you're spending your money you are not wealthier you get to live, so it's an exchange, but somebody got wealthier, the landlord. Now the landlord sometimes isn't even getting wealthier, he might be using leverage. The bank who gave him the loan in some ways and, and then the investors in the bank. So when you buy electronics and you buy this and that, so that doesn't create any wealth. RRD spending, and most humans in the United States about out of $100, the average American spends uh, 95 to 98 of those dollars on RRD. Restaurant, appreciate things out the door. So then some people are more sophisticated. They go, okay, Ty, but and then I invest in my 401k retirement, you know, retirement plans. I invest in mutual funds, stock market. Well, let's look at those. Now, I'm not saying, by the way, let me be very clear. Keeping money in a bank account is wise, even if you only get 1%. You need what John Wooden says to prepare for a rainy day. I'm just saying you will never get wealthy from it. You do need it as an emergency protection, a rainy day fund. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you shouldn't buy a car or a 
food, you need those so you live, you need shelter. But you will not be wealthy from this. Then you go, well, people go, oh, about stock market. I'm not sure. Well, first of all, no one on the Forbes list is there because of the stock market. Nobody, nobody. Look at the top 20. Name one who traded stocks. Zero. You know why? Because when you invest in a mutual fund, the average mutual fund return, let's just say you're good. You get 9%. And most people don't understand what's called a Monte Carlo simulation, which means there's volatility in the market. You never get not. So all the projections are straight line 9%. It's never like that. One year it goes down 15 and goes up 20. But if you drop in the first year, it takes years to catch up. But let's just say you live in a utopian world of straight line 9%. Okay. Depending if it's a tax deferred account or not, there could be potential taxes on dividends if it's if it's uh, distributing dividends. There's inflation going against it. Let's say inflation is 3%. Let's say taxes and fees take another 3%. So you got 6% of your 9% has been eaten up by forces outside your control, which leaves you with a 3% real growth rate of your wealth. Rule of 72, divide three into 72, you're talking roughly 25 years to double money. How are you gonna get, you might be wealthy, that means you put $1,000 in those type of vehicles. Mm. In 25 years, you'll have 2,000 of real wealth. Numerically, you might have more, but your buying power. The biggest lie that people forget in investing, I saw this. This is how insurance companies get wealthy. Trust me, I wrote a book on insurance and was one of the top guys at GE Financial, which was the biggest company in the world. Uh, I was in their, their financial planning. I was one of the top guys there. And, and the reason that they don't talk about this is how insurance companies make money because, and, and banks too, they tell you a numerical number. Oh yeah, you're going up 9%, but there's not real wealth created. The real wealth is about 2%. So nobody is wealthy from that. So that leaves you to one tried and true investment because that, that sentiment is correct. It is investing that makes you wealthy. But do you think mutual fund managers, even Vanguard, John Bogle, no load funds, no load annuities, people think they're so smart because they're like, ah, no load. That's not the panacea for everything. John Bogle still has 100% of his DNA. So mathematically, he cares more about himself than you. You think he's... Mother Teresa charitable? No, he's got an angle that makes more wealth by giving. Now, I'm not begrudging no load funds or begrudging people. What I'm saying is think, don't be the sucker. I'm giving you the math. It's irrefutable. Like Descartes said, the one thing you can't argue with is math. Argue. If you make 9% and 3% goes to inflation in a couple of points, at least one point is going to cost. At least, even if they don't disclose all the costs. Trust me, even mutual funds. I was a registered investment advisor. I know I passed the test. They don't have to disclose certain fees. They don't have to disclose some management fees and so on and so forth. You're losing 1% even in these funds. Okay. Even there's some index funds that are even lower. Let's say you don't lose any. You still lost the 3%. You still lose some from uh, taxes. It, you're going to pay taxes at some point, even in tax deferred plans on the or you put it on the initial capital. So then, guess what? It's not that efficient form to create wealth. Again, you should have retirement plans. You should invest in mutual funds. But you know what? Don't have too high of expectations. As Warren Buffett says, the secret to a good marriage is what? Low expectations. That's the secret. That's his word. <laughs> That's partner. the truth, man. That's the truth. <laughs> to good investors, he says, low expectations. When people come in and go, oh, I'm going to make 80% a year investing with Ty, I'm like, I don't want you. It's just like, I don't want a 
wife or girlfriend who comes to me is like, I'm marrying you, Ty, because you are perfect. I'm like, no, no, no. I'd rather you be like, Ty has a lot of problems and a little better than you think. So when you look at your investments or your money in the stock market or your restaurant depreciate, as long as your expectations are at least realistic, it leaves you with one sure fire way to spend your way wealthy. You will have to spend your way wealthy. Trust me. It takes money to make money, but not how people think. People think it takes money to make money means you need a million bucks up front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Started a business and put a million dollars. No, I'm just thinking. Of anyone that I've started, never. Because one thing that too much capital at the beginning will do is make you inefficient and lazy. It's kind of like a trust fund kid. So what, it is true though. You will need capital for one thing, to spend money on your own brain. Your own brain is within your own control. It passes the Stephen Covey seven habits of highly effective people rule. Number two, it passes evolutionary biology rule. You contain 100% of your own DNA, unless of course you have a, a identical twin, by the way, then you two can go in business together. Uh, they are absolutely the same amount, not quite 100%. So invest in books, seminars, courses, People like love YouTube. Well, YouTube's full of crap. So is podcasts. Man, I don't even listen to podcasts or YouTube. When I listen to YouTube, I listen to Charlie Monger, Buffett. I listen to Durant, Will Durant, but it's too much. So you pay to get knowledge efficiently. And I'm not saying that just because I sell education stuff. I don't care if you buy stuff from me. I have good stuff. I only made my stuff because I couldn't find it. But if you don't buy from me, buy it from Tony Robbins or buy the textbooks from Harvard or take it. My answer is come out of abundance. See, the problem is we have the perfect mind for a world 75,000 years ago. You know who didn't have a scarcity mindset, who understood he had to spend his way? Jeff Bezos. He was making a couple hundred grand a year working at a top firm in Wall Street. He dropped out, lost that salary, borrowed 70,000, put it all into Amazon. He said he did the RR formula, risk return. The return potential, what we know now in hindsight, was $38 billion net worth. That's his personal net worth. And almost a half a trillion dollar on track to be uh, revenue and value company. And in addition to this, this man said, even if I failed, quote unquote, I would never have regret. So there was the reward was unfailing. So he put all that in. I meet people that won't pay 50 bucks for a course. People go, well, which one should I buy? Let me tell you my advice. What I did, 2000, when I started with GE, I knew nobody. I was young, in my early 20s. Everybody was 40 years younger. I bought a course online. This is why I love spending money on education because it worked for me. So I have a special place in my heart. I bought Corey Rudel. Anybody remember him? He, he died, unfortunately, in a tragic car accident driving Porsches. He started making like 10 million bucks a year at 20 in his twenties using the internet. And I took those techniques. I remember it was all the money I had to buy. It was like three or $500. Then I went out and had such good result that I remember I bought Carlton sheets. He had a program on investing in real estate. Um, and then I bought his VIP version and then I bought Donald Trump's program. It's just spend money on your own brain. And I've been doing this since 2000, 2000. I mean, I really started this right out of high school. Instead of going to college, I dropped, I'm a college dropout. I went with Joel Salatin. Uh, invest in my own brain. Man, you control that brain of yours. You'll never, as, as Warren Buffett, he wrote a book for six-year-olds. I wish someone had told me this when I was an adult. The more you learn, the more you earn. That's it. That's the 
pen in a book and people want to be grudges. No, I live in a vibe. No, this works in Bangladesh. It works in India. It works. I've been all over. I've been to 51 countries. I've never not seen it work. Obviously, it's a little harder in some way. I've seen it work for women. I've seen it work for completely broke. If you are making 100 grand a year in your business, but you're plateaued, the more you learn, the more you earn, my friend. And it's funny. I'm very lucky now to make friendships with some of the most respected and most successful people in the world. I was just in London with some guys. One guy's from the U.S. He just He's 38, just sold. He built a company from scratch, $495 million in sales. That's a good company. Almost half a million. I was with them. I was with another guy. He's in his 20s from Australia. Uh, and hard to measure net worth sometimes you're talking half a billion dollars in the 20s now i have rich friends and i have poor friends and i'll tell you there's only one difference all my rich friends are smart some of them dropped out of college some of them have phds but they have one thing in common all that knowledge through these books behind me every conference every seminar is downloaded in their brain they are machines and that is the best piece of advice better than i love jim Rohn. i love tony robbins but this trumps that advice. Trust me. Every scientist in the world would agree. Now, there are times when you can get too much book knowledge in your head, but then I would argue you haven't learned because the Dalai Lama in his book, Beyond Religion, says there's three levels of learning. We in the Western world think there's only one. Level one is hearing. You go to a college class, you read a book. Eh, that's low level. That's not what I'm talking about. Level two is comprehend and that's what insight junkies and self-help oh i just got new insight today that's also just level two. level three though is instinctual change so when i said the more you learn the more you earn the more instinctual change that results from the learning you have the more you will earn the more health you have read arnold schwarzenegger he was a learning machine you know he was in great shape but couldn't get his calves up he found a mentor he flew to south africa reg park showed him had a quadruple down on his calves, do a thousand reps at quadruple the weight. And sure enough, people thought in that Arnold Schwarzenegger had calf implant. Even in health, the more you learn, the more your body earns. In love, how to win friends and influence people. Read the story of people who have risen from complete being, you know, a nerd in a corner. The greatest speaker of all time, Demosthenes, the great speaker from ancient times. He was born stuttering, but you know what he did? He put marbles in his mouth. He walked down to the ocean and he would recite speeches until he created instinctual change in his speech and he held coliseums. You see, all of this is instinctual change. Darwin would agree with this. Jesus Christ would. I don't care if you're an atheist listening to this or religious. I don't care if you don't care about money or, you know, you're the most greedy capitalist on the planet. This is the story of the human race. Participate in this story because our brains know. And when you want that final one, that happiness, that tap dance factor, you will get it from instinctual change. Yeah, great answer, man. Great answer. I love it. I love it. Learn more to earn more. As you grow, your business grows, right? That's that's how yes. it is. Hey, so so I wanted to wrap this up with the last question. And I ask this at the end of every interview and we usually get amazing answers, right? Okay. So we're going to keep this one to 30 seconds. So, so basically the question is, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, what would that 30 seconds sound like? Uh, <laughs> I think I just gave it to you. Uh, <laughs> Hmm. I got it for you. Give me a second. I'm going to pull it up because I have a memory. Uh, 
let me pull this up. All right. I got, I'm going to end with a poem that is so, usually I wouldn't read somebody else's words. Uh-huh. Um, let me see this. This is mind blowing poem. By the way, little side note, this is not the final words I would say, but learn to memorize stuff. I don't care. You know, Richard Branson was dyslexic. He wasn't good at accounting, but at 15, he said, I can either tell everybody I'm dyslexic and be poor or become a billionaire and overcome my dyslexia to a certain extent. And he did, he learned how to do math and books. So, uh, memorize stuff. Of course, it's ironic that, uh, I am, have not full, I have kind of fully memorized this, but I forgot in the middle because I, You've done pretty well so far in this interview, man. You've, you've shared quite a lot of knowledge that, that I'm sure comes out of a lot of books. So you're doing good, man. I'm better, you know, know myself, my strengths. I have the ability to take things that are right on my mind right now and get them out pretty efficiently. But I also want to work on the long term. So if I remember, if I memorize a poem, I can keep it for strong for like a month or two. This one I, I haven't recited in a couple of years. So, or really. So let me read it. I cannot improve. I used to love Native American stuff when I was a little kid. I would read all about the plane, the warriors, and uh, Chief Tecumseh was a was an Indian in the early 1800s, Native American. They're very courageous. You didn't want to have to fight the Native Americans. And this is this was his philosophy on life. He said, "So live your life that the fear of death can never enter your heart. Trouble no one about their religion." Respect others in their view and demand that they respect yours. Love your life. Perfect your life. Beautify all things in your life. Seek to make your life long and its purpose in the service of your people. Prepare a noble death song for the day when you go over the great divide. Always give a word or a sign of salute when meeting or passing a friend, even a stranger, when in a lonely place. Show respect to all people and grovel to none. When you arise in the morning, give thanks for the food and for the joy of living. If you see no reason for giving thanks, the fault lies only in yourself. Abuse no one and no thing, for abuse turns the wise one to fools and robs the spirit of its vision. When it comes to your time to die, be not like those whose hearts are filled with the fear of death, so that when their time comes, they weep and pray for a little more time to live their lives over again in a different way. Sing your death song and die like a hero going home. So... Wow, that's powerful. Maybe the greatest poem I've ever read. If is a good one by Roger Kipling. But remember what he says, a few key points here. Reverse engineer your life so that you'll be able to say, I lived the good life. Not the perfect life, the good life. There's a difference. He says, love, perfect, and beautify. See your life as a sculpture that you're continually chiseling away. Don't overdo it. Some parts of your life don't need to be fixed. So you can you can chisel away too much on your life. You can get too into self-help and oh I got a six pack, but I need an eight pack. And oh I don't it's like no. Keep it in check. Be balanced. I thought it was interesting that he threw in a one social thing. You know, he said also always give a word or a sign of salute when meeting or passing a friend. Like wait, he was talking about that life's not a, about just this, but it's also about social. Make friends. You need allies in this world. Then he said, when you arise in the morning, give thanks. So he said, keep in perspective. We call this psychologists, we call this the contrast bias. He says, if you can't find any reason for giving thanks, 
it's only your own brain that's at fault. I think it was Kanye West or one rapper that said, every day above ground is a good day. And then the lastly, he really kind of brings this all around by saying, don't be like people who are filled with fear. And all their, their whole plan is just to weep at the end and ask for more time. No, this is the day. So in my own words, don't tell me about your 10 day plan. Don't tell me definitely about your 10 year plan. You can have those, but do something today because by doing something, even the second you list, stop listening to this, you'll begin to rewire. We understand more now about the brain. You must rewire your brain. And the book habit is interesting because it says you need many micro actions. So if you want to change your weight, try to do three sets of sit-ups throughout the day. Don't just go to the gym on Friday and like work out for eight hours. It doesn't wire you as rewire as much as many micro little actions. That's why I say, so when you're done listening to this talk, if you're an entrepreneur, go take one little action in your business, shoot off one email, make one call you've been meeting, pick up one business book, one thing, always be in the mindset as the simplest of all uh, mindsets. I think it was uh, Ben Franklin who said, do not, or Thomas Jefferson, do not put off for tomorrow what you can do today. That is a great and powerful uh, uh, mindset and archetype uh, for how you live your life. So I think that's it. Awesome. awesome. Awesome, Ty. Thank you so much, man, for sharing your time, your wisdom, your good words of advice, man. I think um, a lot of people needed to hear that. And it's great because you've really uh, focused on the importance of self-development, which is what we're all about at Addicted to Success. So, thank Yeah, you. we got the same vision. And I tell people, if you want to follow my stuff, the, the, the free stuff, go to my website, tylopez.com. Join the little pop-up, we'll ask you, and I, I read a book a day, and I, one of the things that I do for people that will help you read faster, I write a summary every day, and I record a little uh, video, so you, I can read for you, that helps, and that's free. So you can just jo join that, that's the first step. You can follow me on my social, just under Ty Lopez. Um, those of you listening, so that's all the free stuff, YouTube, my YouTube channel, my TED Talk and stuff like that. Those of you who want uh, more, I always say about 20% of people are hyped in, in any group and are more like today is my day. If that's you, uh, I start with the 67 steps program that I have. It's on my website that we'll have a link uh, through Joel, 67 steps. Very, I'm telling you, if I, I would pay a $10 million to have known all that 20 years ago. It, it took me decades and going to 51 countries, blood, sweat, and tears to learn that in its mindset on health, wealth, love, and happiness. The 67, it's a 67, one a day you listen to video for 67 days. And I built it that way because the most cutting edge science is it's not 21 days to change a habit. It's 66 or 67, University College London. So one a day. For those of you who are also entrepreneurs, uh, you can do something because go into the business mentorship. You can apply for it. Uh, it's not for everybody. The people that I let in, it's insane what's going on. And uh, and it, it will make you a machine. Like that movie 300, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to change. I can't change 100 million people, but I can graduate 300 people at a time. So if you're in business or you're thinking of being an entrepreneur, as long as your income's under a million dollars a year, 
uh, you should go into the business mentoring. If so, you're at zero, but you know you want to be an entrepreneur, or you're at 100 grand, 200 grand, this is the right program. For those of you listening at the highest level, I have an inner circle program, but you have to be, that's also an application. We put a link, uh, but don't apply. People get confused. That's only really if you're doing millions and millions a year. Um, so that's the total. So focus on the free stuff that I have, my newsletter, 67 steps, and most of your audience is entrepreneur minded. The business, apply for the business uh, mentorship program. Okay. Excellent. There you go, guys. I'm in the 67 steps too, and uh, I can definitely give it the stamp of approval. So I'll uh, send you the link through the mailing list or head over to Ty's site, whatever works for you guys. All right, Ty, thanks for joining us today, man. Thanks, man. Excellent.